Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host Katie Gordon. Katie, how are you doing? I am doing well. I recently, as you're fully aware, just saw <laughs> A Star is Born. And while there are a lot of parts of it that were painful, I thought it was an excellent movie. And... I think I'll just say now that we're going to talk about that movie in detail, so if you want to avoid spoilers, you have been warned, so maybe don't listen to this until you've watched it. Yeah, that's a great great disclaimer. It's been a while since we've done one of our classic uh, watch a movie and then record about it right afterwards. It's been a little bit. It has, so I want to make sure I don't want to be one of those people who ruins things, by, or spoils them rather, so... While I'm remembering, I'll do that. And then maybe I'll also mention that we're going to talk about some pretty significant psychological stuff, including elements of suicide. So if you um, just wanted to give people a heads up that that's what the content will be. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. That sounds good. And how are you doing, Brandon? Oh, oh I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I, um, you know, I'm always a, a little bit hesitant when I go into um, consuming media that I know is going to depict some people who are really struggling with tough situations, which maybe is surprising for someone who is training or wants to become a clinical psychologist, maybe surprising to hear. But uh, for me, when I'm consuming media, I'm, I'm very comfortable in, in comedy or, or, or Marvel movies or all that. And so I, I was always a little just nervous about how I would feel after something like this. But like you had pointed out, the film was so well done. And um, maybe I'm getting ahead a little bit, but I think the way in which it depicts um, certain individuals who are struggling with mental health concerns is really well done and not done in a way to kind of sensationalize it or dramatize it or take advantage of struggling just for the mere sake of entertainment. I thought it was really, really depicted, um, uh, you know, almost com really compassionately and, and accurately and just a really well done film. I completely agree. I also, you know, I, as you know, I tend to like more lighthearted things, but after yeah. hearing the reviews of this movie, and I should say um, someone named Abhinav, gave me a heads up that this might be a good thing for us to podcast about. So thank you, Avanov, for doing that. And I think that's absolutely true. I'm really glad to have seen it. I mean, the the talent in it is remarkable. Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga were amazing. The music mm -hmm. was amazing. I'm definitely going to download the soundtrack. And I, I'll be thinking about the film for a while, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe to dive in, we could just start with just a couple of um, maybe just lighter hearted kind of fun facts about the movie or maybe even I, I think we've kind of given our reaction, but anything to kind of add about reactions about it, too. That sounds good. Well, we each have two fun facts, so I'll start. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so How I'll, coincidental. I'll start with mine. Um, yeah. 
it happened just that way. Um, <laughs> no pre-planning. Um, one fun fact for me is that Anthony Ramos is in the movie, and he plays Allie's good friend, who's the person, um, the character that's played by Lady Gaga, and he plays Ramon. And, I mean, he has a key role. I mean, first of all, he's kind of the one who connects Allie with Jack, and so that's important. But he's also a good friend throughout the film, and he, I was really excited to see him because I am a huge Hamilton fan, as our listeners probably know, because we've mentioned that a few times and uh, did a little episode dedicated to it. So he um, originated both Lorenz and Philip Hamilton on Broadway, so that was great. He is actually going to be in Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical, In the Heights, playing Usnavi in the film version of that. And I've also enjoyed the Will and Grace reboot, and he also has been in a couple episodes of that. So that was great to see him. I was telling Brandon I wish they would have found a way for him to sing, even though it wouldn't have made (laughs) any sense, just because he has such a wonderful voice. And so one more thing that I will say about that is that Lin-Manuel Miranda did something with This American Life a while ago where there was some short period of time where he had to write a musical. It's called the Radio Drama Episode, and I will link to it. And he ended up writing a a musical called 21 Chump Street. And um, it's really, it's very good, and Anthony Ramos is in it. So anyway, that's my fun fact. What do you have? Uh, Maybe before I jump into mine, just related to Lynn, um, how exciting was it to see him on the big screen in the Mary Poppins uh, Returns? Is that what the name of it was? In the Mary Poppins uh, trailer before the film. I am really excited about seeing that. There are a lot of good uh, previews before. So, I mean, I love movies anyway, but I was getting really excited to see all the stuff coming. Yeah, I I think he's he was made for that role. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I found myself looking forward to that, too. So um, one of my fun facts that um, just as I was reading a little bit about the film in preparation between watching it and preparing to record here, um, I was surprised to read that it's actually, I think, the fifth remake of this story. Um, The first being a film made in 1937, which maybe coincidentally the main character um, who is the kind of depiction of Allie in that movie was someone from North Dakota, which is kind of a a fun little tie into our own location. Um, Following the 1937 version, there was a musical version in 1954, followed by a rock musical version in 1976. And then uh, last but not least, a 2013 Bollywood romance film um, preempted A Star is Born as we experienced it in uh, 2018 today. That is that's amazing. I haven't seen any other version of it, so I had no idea what to expect. No, me neither. Actually, I was really not familiar with the story. I, of course, I saw the trailer um, in theaters and thought it looked really good. Um, but otherwise, I really I didn't have much familiarity with the story. And like I had pointed out, I didn't know it actually was um, a kind of a remake of an original storyline. So pretty cool. Yeah, that's that is a very fun fact. Uh, I'd be interested to see some of the other versions, but kind of like you were saying before we started recording, this one's going to be hard to top, I think. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, my second fun fact, which is 
it's just kind of interesting when they started putting together this remake in 2011 of the film that we we saw now um clint eastwood eastwood was originally kind of um going to be the director and they had beyonce set to kind of star as Allie, and um it was really stuck in development for a lot of years and they really had a hard time getting it going and uh, a whole bunch of people were kind of approached to co-star and play the role of jack uh, including christian bale leonardo dicaprio will smith and tom cruise so i thought that was kind of amazing and i i think bradley cooper did such an exceptional job and obviously all of those people are very talented but i think that the film would have really i don't know like christian bale for example i don't know if i could i can't imagine him playing the role in the same way that bradley cooper did so it's just kind of interesting to, for me to kind of try to imagine what the film might look like um with some of these different directions yeah d- definitely do you know, do you have any idea why it took them a while? Was it just kind of, I guess things come up, and that's, I've heard that happening to films before. Yeah, I, what it, I'm kind of reading here, and apparently it was in what's called development hell, which I think is exactly mm. that. Just a hard time kind of nailing down the roles, probably a hard time getting someone to play the role of Jack. And then I think um, after that after it was kind of stuck for so long in 2016 that's when bradley cooper kind of signed on to star and then actually direct the film um and then lady gaga joined the cast in 2016 as well and then it really took off after that well they made good calls i think waiting yeah absolutely those two um the dynamic that they really brought to their interactions on the screen um it was you know, I think any time that I'm watching a movie, it always feels like I'm watching a movie. But when I was watching this, it really very honestly felt like I was just watching two people very naturally interacting. And I thought that was just really well done. I agree. Their their chemistry was very believable. And I think that's part of what made the, the film so moving. Yeah, absolutely. So I have one more fun fact um, that many... Listeners of the show know that Brent and I like The Big Lebowski. We've also had an episode mm-hmm. about The Big Lebowski. We've written a blog post about The Big Lebowski. And so it was very fun to see the cowboy stranger guy from Big Lebowski. Yeah. And they're played by Sam Elliott, who looks like he hasn't aged at all since The Big Lebowski came out 20 years ago. And he was great. And from the Big Lebowski, he says, sometimes you eat the bear and sometimes the bear, well, he eats you. But it sounds like bar. And apparently there's controversy over whether he says bear or bar. And I think bear makes more sense. <laughs> but uh, it's would... possible I'm missing something. So uh, if anyone wants to tweet at us with their vote as to what it is or resolve it for us, you are welcome to. Yeah, you know, something kind of funny here, I'm reading here about our friend um, Sam Elliott, and his middle name is The Immortal. Isn't that weird? Sam The Immortal Elliott. It's fitting, though. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of power in that name. I mean... (laughs) Very powerful. He he aged up until when The Lebowski came out in 1998. That was it. it, Since then, just stopped. It's weird that there's not more conversation about that because it is striking. It is. Well, you heard it here first. <laughs> or Broke maybe that way story before wide now. Open. I heard it here first. Maybe I'm just projecting. <laughs> well, those are the those are the fun facts. Um anything else we should say kind of generally about the movie before we get into some of more of the the mental health themes? No, I don't think so. I guess the last thing I would say is that um should you feel like you're in a place where you have 
the emotional wherewithal to kind of maybe see a film that is probably going to make you feel feel things, uh, I certainly would recommend checking it out. I do too, and I cried. I'll try not to cry while we're recording, but mm-hmm. I mean, again, it's like that kind of thing where, you know, sometimes it can feel like watching certain things certain Netflix series, which I won't mention again, where Uh, you're really upset, but it feels like you're really upset for not really any good reason other than you've just seen a bunch of upsetting stuff. That's not this movie. This movie, I feel like I'm upset because it was beautifully, realistically depicted and a really... I mean, there's a beautiful love story in there, too. There are a lot of beautiful elements to it. And so it's, to me, that's kind of crying because it's just so well done and it's such a moving story and that's a different feeling than just getting upset because you know they're trying to sensationalize something oh. or show upsetting scenes absolutely yeah the the kind of emotional um experience that i had was very much because the characters were so believable and i was so invested and engaged in the experiences that were being depicted not because someone was trying to be kind of edgy and drum Mm -hmm. up some hard conversations. Yeah. Yeah, So I agree. Exactly. Or kind of shock you just for the sake of being shocked. But anyway, not that we're sub-podcasting any particular series. No, 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 no. So, which actually we might do a direct contrast to that series later, but um, because, I mean, there's a depiction of suicide in this, which is a big part of the motivation why we went to see it. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Suicide has been in the news a lot lately because the um, CDC, the Center for Disease Control, Centers for Disease Control, reported again that there was a higher rate in the United States of suicides. And there's actually been some really great journalism done. And the only reason I say actually is because sometimes the topic isn't covered a lot in the news as much as at least I personally, of my opinion, would like to see it. And other times you can see some inaccurate write-ups about it. But the American Association of Suicidology had a lot of involvement and was contacted for these stories in USA Today and other outlets And we'll link to those in the show notes because I was really impressed to see these big outlets publishing these important stories with accurate information about suicide. And so I wanted us to do our part too, which is to talk about a movie that a lot of people saw where you see a suicide depicted. Yeah, absolutely. So first, maybe we can start. I do want to do a classic brief Brandon summary. Oh, yeah. Great idea. Um, I'm going to lean on Wikipedia like I always do. Um, Classic Brandon Wikipedia reading. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just one more time because I I feel obligated. Full spoilers from here on out. If you haven't seen the movie, I'm I'm literally about to tell you the whole plot of it. So pause the the episode. Turn it off if you don't want to know the story. Mm -hmm. So really the the story centers around... um, kind of the relationship and experiences of two people. One is Jackson Maine, who is kind of this very famous um, country music singer. And the other is this individual, Allie, who he actually meets very early on in the movie um, after he is kind of had this concert of his own and he goes to this bar to get some drinks after the concert and he sees her singing at this bar and they really kind of hit it off. 
uh, he invites her to kind of come with him to a show he's doing, and they sing on stage together, and this kind of uh, jumpstarts her own kind of music career, where they're um, on tour together, and they form this really lovely romantic relationship, and um, eventually she kind of starts making this name of her own and gets her own contract deal, and throughout all of this, um, Jackson has really been struggling with his own um, alcohol addiction and drug addiction, and um, just kind of processing, it sounds like, maybe uh, some a tough relationship with growing up. Uh, and he lost his mom before, kind of while he was being born and lost his dad when he was really young. So a lot of really adverse early childhood kind of events. And um, as Allie kind of gets her own career started, Jackson isn't really a huge fan of kind of the direction it goes. It kind of changes from this country music to more kind of pop and with dancers and things like that. And so she eventually kind of wins her own Grammys. And at this point he's really struggling with addiction and he goes up on stage with her and, and ends up kind of going to the bathroom on himself and passing out, which leads to him going to um, rehab. And following that, he comes out, things seem like they're going to be okay. But Allie wants to have him kind of be part of her career and ends up canceling her own tour um, after his or I mean, her manager kind of attacks Jack over this a little bit. And um, when he, Jack kind of finds out about this, he uh, actually ends up um, dying by suicide just kind of as a result of everything that's happened to him. Um, not, I think, that very specific event. Um, and then Allie really becomes... I mean, she struggles a lot, and, and it's depicted really, I think, meaningfully, and it's very emotional. And the film ends in a really powerful way where she's actually singing the song that he had written and uh, never performed. And uh, if, I think at least for the first time in the film, she actually introduces herself with his last name. Okay. So that's kind of a really brief overview of the plot, um, but a really powerful and really well-done story. It's actually a, a fairly long movie, but it really didn't feel long. It was, I mean, it was really good. Yeah, thank you for th that great summary. And like you said, it's interesting. We don't get a lot of details about Jack, and they kind of set the stage for that early on because Allie's, the first song on the spot she writes and sings for him the night they meet is basically about him kind of acting hardcore is the word she uses, mm -hmm. trying to fill a void and, you know, trying to escape things through drinking a lot, which she mm -hmm. you know, she observes. That's how he is the first time she meets him. He's, our, he's very intoxicated and wanted to drink some more. And and like you said, his, his well, his mother died in childbirth and his father... And she was under, she, I think she was 17 when she got pregnant. And mm -hmm. the, his father was 63 when he was born, had alcohol issues, clearly, it sounded like, um, mm -hmm. and died when Jack was 13. So his brother, kind of, who was played by Sam Elliott, Bobby, was much older than him. Yeah. Seemed like, he said he claims to have, have raised him. And then... You know, and then, they, you know, they have kind of a difficult relationship because of, it seems like some of it is because Bobby's kind of trying to take care of Jack. And then, uh, you know, it's just seems like he's also struggling with these medical issues with hearing loss and tinnitus, which yeah. clearly affect his career a lot. I mean, so he's got a lot going on throughout the movie, and I think they, they build that in a realistic way. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, and those are, I, I was the Wikipedia summary. I'm blaming it on that is very kind of brief, but those are really two very central parts of the film too, is the hearing loss. And then kind of the relationship between Jack and his older brother, Bobby, where um, you kind of find out not early on in the film, but semi early on that uh, they buried their father on this kind of ranch that he owned that Jack bought for Bobby. And so Jack goes to kind of see this and sees that it's been sold and it's a wind farm now. Mm-hmm. And he ends up physically attacking Bobby over this, who tells him, Hey, I, I told you about this, but you're too drunk to notice and kind of quits as his kind of stage manager or, or just manager. And uh, there's kind of this reconciliation later on, but that, that relationship is a, a big part of the film too. It is, and even after quitting um, Once Allie's on Saturday Night Live, uh, you know, Jack tries to invite him back in, yeah. in the same position to work with him, and Bobby says, you know, he's he's not going to do that, and says to him, it's, it's better without you, you know, um, after I don't know how many years of trying to take care of his brother, and he wasn't, it didn't even sound like he was trying to be mean, I mean, he was kind of like in a matter no, of fact way, yeah. like I can't. I can't do that anymore. And he also, you know, tried to get, he, I mean, he does kind of take a parental type way. You know, um, Jack is told that his hearing loss isn't going to get better in the tinnitus. And they do, I think, well, Bradley Cooper directed the film as well. And he, you know, they do this scene where you kind of hear what Jack hears. And it's really yeah bad. And especially if you're a musician and that's what you do for a living. And he, but he won't wear anything to prevent further hearing loss, like the monitors that they suggest, which also frustrates Bobby. Right, absolutely. And maybe if we could just pause just for a quick second and talk about how um, fantastic was the breakout role as Alec Baldwin as Alec Baldwin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. No, he was very, yeah. very convincing. He really was. I really <laughs> felt like I was watching Alec Baldwin. And um, I believe he said scene. three words, and each yeah. of those words <laughs> was just pitch perfect to how it Alec was, would say it if he was hosting Saturday Night Live. It was uncanny. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I can't help myself. And, well, while we're mentioning uh, other couple side things before we get more serious, how fun was it to see Dave Chappelle? I mean... I did not know he was in this movie, but when I saw him, I did enjoy it a lot. And he plays a critical role. He actually, it's kind of interesting. He describes how he, um, how he got married, basically. He's like, I was on, uh, I I like, I like the stories, like kind of like you're a ship going to a destination, you stop at a port and you realize you forget all about what the next destination was. And that really inspires Jack to ask Allie to, to marry Mm -hmm. him. Yeah, it was a really beautiful sequence. Um, well, kind of starting on a low point with Jack being passed out on the side of the street. Yeah. Um, but really, uh, a cool sequence from there on out, kind of between Jack and, and his neighbor, who's depicted by um, Dave Chappelle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, thank you for that summary. Maybe we thought we'd talk about, as, as Brandon mentioned in the summary, that Jack has substance in it. Oh, and we didn't even, the other thing we didn't mention is that. He, they show him getting steroids at one point. Oh, and yeah. He seems to be prescribed some kind of pain medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never um, totally clear what it is. No, they don't. They don't say a lot. You get these kind of. That's. I guess that's part of what I thought was interesting about the movie. It's not like 
you know, even when he ends up going into treatment after that mm-hmm. incident at the Grammys, it's not like he tells his whole narrative or story. You just get these bits and pieces of it. And mm-hmm. so he's got, suffice it to say, medical conditions going on, stressors, and like you said, mm-hmm. starting from childhood, some very difficult types of events. So what we thought we'd talk about first is kind of how realistic the depiction is in terms of substance use disorder. And so we thought we'd talk about the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders diagnostic criteria first for substance use disorders. And we thought we'd focus on alcohol because that's probably gets the most coverage in the movie. But there are other yes. things that he's clearly struggling with, too. So maybe we'll just start by going through the criteria and talk about what he appears to meet. So for to meet for this disorder, for alcohol use disorder, there needs to be a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically significant impairment or distress as manifested by at least two of the following occurring within a 12-month period. So the first symptom is alcohol is often taken in larger amounts or over a longer period than was intended. I think he would meet this criteria. I mean, he doesn't talk a lot about intended, but it seems like at certain points he's intending not to drink. It's clear that this causes stress with Allie, but at Saturday Night Live, that scene to me seemed like he didn't plan to drink. He was kind of stressed out seeing her perform this pop song, and later it's kind of revealed that perhaps that's due to him feeling like he didn't do a good enough job telling her to keep authentic to herself or her original style of songs. And it does seem like at that point he's kind of stressed out about it and grabs a drink. But you see that at other times too. I doubt Uh he intended to drink that much before the Grammys. Right. Okay. So Yeah, this the second criteria is a persistent desire or unsuccessful attempts to cut down or control alcohol use. And I don't think they um like you had kind of already pointed out, with a lot of the challenges that Jack is facing, they don't it's never kind of really explicit. You you just see kind of small things, well, other than a few times where it's very explicit, um, that kind of indicate what's going on. And so I don't think we ever saw any like specific time where he very clearly indicated, yeah, I, I need to probably drink less. But we did see times where maybe he was trying not to drink or like when she said, you know, I'm not going to ride that motorcycle with you if you're drinking. And I think he made some comment there indicating, yeah, yeah I haven't been drinking. So I think there probably was some um, kind of depiction or some intentionality where at least specifically in regards to the influence that his drinking was having on his relationship with Allie that he tried to stop but I don't know if it was ever very explicit yeah I think you're right because she does seem to based on how he smells and how he's acting be surprised a few times that he was drinking and it, it seems to me it implies that they had had a conversation where he was not supposed to or something you know yep Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one is a great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain alcohol, use alcohol, or recover from its effects. I mean, when he's drinking, it does seem to take up a lot of time, you know, just in the beginning, right after the concert. It's it's presumably mm-hmm. late at night, and he asks his driver to drop him off at a bar, and he keeps drinking, even though he's already quite intoxicated. And so, I don't know, well... You see a little bit of him recovering from the effects, but not 
not a ton, mm -hmm. but certainly the obtaining and using part. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, we have craving to use alcohol. Um, I think there was definitely some depiction of that and some that was intuited a little bit as well. Like, for example, there was a depiction of him where he had already had a few drinks and it was early in the morning. That, to me, at least indicated that he had some craving or maybe a, some uh, trying to avoid withdrawal effects, which we'll get to in a little bit here. Um, in addition to, uh, I think, another really um, good example of craving was the Saturday Night Live, uh, where it was like... Um, he didn't have his own alcohol there, but he really had a craving that he just needed to have a drink, um, maybe in response to what he was seeing. So he kind of reaches through the kind of bars so there into the kind of, I don't know, but some other kind of area where people were having some food and alcohol and grabs a drink. And I think that that is pretty realistic in terms of, you know, for some individuals, if they're trying not to drink and then they have negative emotions and they expect that those negative they have the expectation that those negative emotions will go away if they drink that can definitely be a time where it's hard to resist drinking and so mm -hmm. I, I felt like that was very realistically done especially for him they kind of paint him as someone who is trying to avoid thinking about a lot of the painful things that are going on and mm -hmm. in one way he does that is through substance use yeah so the next one is recurrent alcohol use resulting in failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. I mean, it seems like the clearest example is he's hired to play the guitar as uh, for a Roy Orbison tribute at the Grammys, and he's too intoxicated to even play and stumbles down. And then, of course, as Brendan talked about, this has this really embarrassing episode of, you know, just not even knowing what's going on at the Emmy. So. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we have, um, let's see, I missed my spot. Uh, recurrent use of alcohol, despite having persistent or recurring social or interpersonal um, problems caused or worsened by alcohol. I think the two really clear and really, really big examples of this are with Allie and his brother, Bobby. Um, both of those relationships have really negative um uh, are really negatively impacted or influenced, I think, by his alcohol use. Um, but he does kind of continue to use despite those um, worsening relationships um, due to the alcohol. Uh, even, you know, when Allie goes to get him when he passes out in Dave Chappelle's yard or whatever, mm -hmm. she's like, I won't come for you again, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's sad that I thought her depiction like, I felt that was really painful because you can see she's so in love with him, but she also doesn't want to tolerate the problems he's having. But you see her kind of go back and forth and cover for him. Oh, that's okay. That happens. You know, he just does that and, you know, goes out of her way to make him feel like, you know, it's not his fault. It's a disease, which is a very compassionate stance, but it's also painful to see her struggling with the person she loves suffering that way and, and how it negatively has impacted her and almost going out of her way to not focus on how it impacts her because she really doesn't want him to feel bad about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, so the next one is important social occupational or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of alcohol use. That's a little harder to... To know, so we'll yeah we'll err on the side of not counting that one. Right, 
Uh, next is recurrent alcohol use and hazardous situations. Um, I'm thinking here, you know, oftentimes I think examples of this are things like um, driving under the influence of alcohol, and I don't think we saw anything like that, at least. Um, can you think of any examples of this one, Katie? I'm having a hard time. Mm, no, I mean, I think, you know, he puts himself in a dangerous physical situation, but it's not, but not like the things you're saying, like you think about, but it's mostly because of too much. He's, you know, he's taking right. too much. So I don't know yeah, if that's absolutely. what this really gets at. Yeah. Okay, so maybe not that one, or we don't know enough about that. Um, then right, al- very well could be, but... Yeah, and it wouldn't be shocking, right? But um, Right. The next one, alcohol use is continued despite knowledge of having a persistent or recurrent physical or psychological problem that is likely to have been caused or exacerbated by alcohol. I don't think it's as clear that the knowledge is there. Right. And he does have physical problems, but I don't know that they're directly connected to some of the things that he's doing. I mean, yeah, so maybe maybe it's not clear on that one either. Yeah. And then you might have to forgive me because my um, hard copy of the DSM uh, is actually at work. So I'm just reading uh, diagnostic criteria online and my list has ended. So okay. I, I might have to lean on you a little bit for the last couple. Okay, well, the, the last two are have to do with um, physical type things. So there's tolerance, needing, which can be either needing, needing increased amounts of the substance to achieve intoxication or the desired effect or a markedly diminished effect with continued use of the same amount of alcohol. I'm going to speculate that he probably has some tolerance because it at least appears that he's having an enormous amount of substances and I imagine if he didn't have some tolerance that that wouldn't it would probably not be necessary to have that much to get that kind of desired effect. Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple times where we see that he's kind of finished off a fairly substantial bottle. Um the time frame isn't always clear, but I definitely think there's some indication that he's consuming a pretty substantial amount of alcohol. Yes, and with the withdrawal, like you said, there's I don't think there's a very clear scene of him being shown having withdrawal, despite the fact that there are a few times he stops, and he, you imagine he would, except potentially when he's drinking in the morning, it's not clear if it's you know he's upset at that time or if he's trying to relieve some withdrawal symptoms. Right. So the way the DSM does this is that if they show two to three symptoms, it's considered mild, four to five considered moderate, and if there's six or more, it's severe. I didn't keep precise count, but I think we hit the six. Yes, I, th- I feel very comfortable saying that we hit the six as well. So did you think that was a compassionate depiction of someone struggling with substance use and alcohol problems? I really did, and right away I was reminded of um, a, a podcast episode that we did a really long time ago with Dr. Keith Donahue, who you know very well, um, on um, substance use and its depiction in in popular culture and in media, and how sometimes it's romanticized a little bit, especially maybe in the case of like artists and how um, they're they're producing this great art. And so maybe it's okay that they're struggling with with the substance use almost. 
And um, at first I was a little worried that maybe we were heading that direction. But I, it, in the end, kind of when I saw the whole film and I've gotten to reflect on it a little bit, I do think that it was a compassionate and accurate depiction of what it might look like for someone to struggle um, with alcohol use um, in a way that's really impairing their functioning. Yes, I agree. And since Dr. Keith Donahue was also at the movie and uh, <laughs> in the car after the movie, he he mentioned that as well. So he is consistent and he agreed with you that in this depiction, you actually see that it's hurting his career. It's mm-hmm. not inspiring him or anything like that. It's actually making him less able to perform and do the things that he is good at. So mm-hmm. uh, th- that's very true. I also was thinking about our episode with Dr. Ted Bender because he mm-hmm. was talking about the pattern he often sees in people who have chronic substance or alcohol use problems is that there are some childhood type traumas and there's also the genetic kind of family history. So he clearly has the family history with his dad. And then he also, it sounds like, endured at minimum neglect yes. as a child. I mean, he he tells this very painful story where he's he's 12 or 13 and he tried to kill himself. And he, he didn't end up dying by suicide, but he, he basically fell on the floor afterwards and his dad didn't even notice it ended up breaking the ceiling fan and the ceiling fan fell down and his dad left it there for six months so it's pretty significant serious Mm -hmm. neglect and so if you have the vulnerability a family history of substance use problems and you're around someone who is acting like your drinking buddy which again he said his dad died when he was 13 right Right, and I I think the implication there, if I'm not mistaken, was that his dad was maybe drinking with him while he was that age. Yes, that's that's yeah. certainly what it sounded like. And then, on top of it, you know, he's not even noticing his son trying to kill himself. Right. I mean, how terrible. And so you end up seeing that this idea that he kind of gets some... He feels good from his music and from his fans and doesn't even actually seem bothered because Allie asked him like do you care about people just taking pictures of you and not asking you about yourself you know just treating you like a famous person or whatever and he says it doesn't really bother him he doesn't think about it and so I felt like from that perspective it was compassionate because even though it's painful to see how it's affecting his life and affecting Allie and his brother and he really hurts them during the movie uh, in a mm-hmm. couple of different ways. I mean, he calls Allie ugly, right? And mm-hmm. and he's really, and he hits his brother, like you said. But you are simultaneously, at least, I felt a lot of sympathy for him because mm-hmm. he really had to endure a lot of very difficult things and wasn't really taught by his, his dad how to cope with them other mm-hmm. than to drink. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, and I think that's really the kicker as to why it's such a, um, such a, uh, I think why it's a good movie and why it's such a good depiction is because it, it really has this fine line of depicting someone who's actually doing really hurtful things to the people around them who they love, 
but you still find yourself really feeling for him. So I think that you've hit it right just perfectly as to why he's such a compelling character and why it's such a compelling um, depiction. Yeah, you can't really write him off and just, oh, he just needs to get it together and do this. It's like you kind of get that he is a good person and he's done this these amazing things for Ellie and I think a lot of it is really out of love for her and wanting her to be able to see how great she is and, and you see that's, you know, why why she loves him so much despite the fact that there are a lot of hardships surrounded by it too. Mm-hmm. So as we've talked about, he ultimately, I mean, very tragically dies by suicide. And we wanted to link that to two specific models of suicidal behavior and then actually talk about there's some more of the film after he dies by suicide. But first, maybe we can talk about some of the sequence of what leads up to that. So as I mentioned, some of the things that we see as they're kind of building up to this is uh, there are some risk factors there that have been identified in the research mm-hmm. as true risk factors of suicide. So some of them include the presence of having mental disorders. He clearly has substance use problems, mm-hmm. and there are some s- substance use uh, being linked to risk for suicide. He also has a previous one previous suicide attempt from quite a while ago, but it's also using the same method that he uses to ultimately ends up dying by suicide Mm -hmm. social isolation i mean he has this huge disruption in this very close relationship with his wife he ends up going into it looks like a rehabilitation center for i think about three months Mm -hmm. and he also of course as we already mentioned you know his brother is very close to him and they have this falling out after he's cruel i mean in addition to the things he says about his brother, he basically says, you know, you had a good voice, but you had nothing to say. Mm-hmm. He has physical illness. He has, and I'm reading these from a review of empirically demonstrated risk factors from suicide from Van Orden, Kim, Kim Van Orden et al. in the Interpersonal Theory of Suicide, which is a manuscript that I will link to that was published in 2010. Um, Okay, so family conflict, I mean, we've definitely got that. Oh, yeah. In addition to that, he's having, I mean, he's. He, it seems like he feels good about his success as a musician, and now he's having, his wife is kind of upstaging him as one aspect of it, yep. and they do suggest he's jealous about it, even though he's trying not to be. But then on top of it, he gets kind of canceled. He was supposed to sing for the Roy Orbison tribute at the Grammy, and then they hire someone else. He's supposed to just be there playing the guitar, and then he takes that paid gig in Memphis. It's unclear what that's for, but it's not something he wanted to do. So it also seems like he's struggling in his career. Uh, Let's see what else. Um, I mean, there's a lot of it right there that that we see. I think that Mm he... So he goes into rehabilitation for three months. He comes back, and he seems to be connected to Allie, though she's quite busy. And he and his brother seem to have made up, but it's still, you know, there's still some distance between them. And then he, her manager, is that his role? Rafi? Yes, I think so. Mm -hmm. So Rafi Gavron, who is played by Rez Gavron, um, goes over to the house 
and tells him, you know, Allie loves you and she'll, that's why she'll never tell you this, but you almost destroyed her career after what happened at the Grammys. And basically that he wants Allie to leave him. And mm -hmm. Allie doesn't want to do that, right? She tries to go on tour with him. She cancels her tour when he can't do that. And, and Rafi says this to him and you just see, he already had so much shame. I mean, when she visited mm -hmm. him, he was tearing up and he felt horrible about what he did to her and horrible about how it affected her dad. And so then for Rafi to say, like, you almost completely derailed and ruined her career and he already feels horrible about it. You see his face completely change. And that's where Bradley Cooper's acting is just hits you right in the gut because it's so realistic, I think. Um, and, and anyway, so then, so she, Allie's going to do her last show for a while and she asks him to come with the idea like you know it'll be nice if we sing together and he doesn't end up making it and I, I think that that event right before then it's just a terrible thing he already had these risk factors and then this horrible kind of in-your-face suggestion that Allie might leave you and that you've already done this to her really affects him it, it was actually really one of the hardest scenes, I think, for me to watch just because of Bradley Cooper's acting. And he was able to really communicate this very painful kind of visceral reaction through just his body language and his facial expressions. And it, it was so um, kind of emotionally engaging that I found myself really wanting to tell, tell that manager guy off. Like, it, it was... I kind of didn't like that character. He was, well, he was the worst. Oh, what a horrible, horrible thing that he mm -hmm. did. I mean, it's talk about lacking any sense of empathy. I mean, it was really, really disgusting. Of course, Allie wouldn't want that, but it just felt like a very much like an example of thinking about Allie as a product that he could promote and that her personal life was getting in the way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was really, that was really painful. Oh, absolutely. And I think there were some warning signs in there for kind of uh, acute risk. I mean, I think he's plan kind of planning it out, I would guess. Yeah. At that point, he has access to pills in his truck. Um, and, you know, he he has this, it seems like he has this kind of plan. And, I mean, he doesn't talk a lot, but you get some sense from his face that things have changed. Oh, right? absolutely. And, you know, it's it's just, yeah, I agree with you. I was so frustrated and angry at that person. I really, because, which, again, is a sense of how much you come to care about these characters. Mm -hmm. Another know? small um, thing that I picked up, too, that I'm sure you did as well, was when Allie's dad was commenting on the vinyl collection that Jack has, and he says, oh, you can just have them. And it was just kind of one small thing in addition, like giving away his possessions um, that were presumably very important to him. Um, oh, de mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. I mean, just take as many as you yep. want. I mean, that that was definitely... Alarming, oh, yeah. I think, for him to have that way. And of cl clearly he was in a lot of pain because then he ended up just using a lot of substances, maybe more than we'd seen him even in the previous mm -hmm. parts of it. And you do get a sense he starts to feel pretty hopeless about his ability to build a new sober life 
you know, he worked really hard while he was in treatment, it, it appears, yeah. and he was there and took it seriously and was largely motivated wanting his life to work, but that he's maybe can't picture how that's going to be. Right. No, absolutely. So, so we pulled out a couple of, we wanted to talk about two models of suicide. I'll also link to the warning signs of the American Association of Suicidology webpage in the show notes so that you can also look up some of the things that we've talked about. So Brandon was going to go through the interpersonal theory of suicide, and then I will talk about the three-step theory. Yeah, absolutely. So the interpersonal theory of suicide is one that we've talked about on the podcast a number of times. Um, for example, when we covered Logan, I think we went into it in very, very, um, very deep kind of level of detail. So just to kind of reiterate, folks, it's a theory of suicide that involves kind of three components. So the first two components are perceived burdensomeness and thwarted belongingness. And these are two factors that kind of facilitate a desire for suicide. And perceived burdensomeness is kind of this experience that people sometimes might have where they feel like they're such a burden on the people around them or they're sort of contributing so little to the lives of the people around them that those people around them would be actually better off if they were gone or if they were dead. And I think there are some examples of this, um, very acute kind of examples of this in the film. And I think that the manager, what, what was his name again? I'm sorry, I had the IMDb pulled up. Um, oh, no problem. It's Raffi. Raffi. I think Raffi um, really helped to facilitate this experience for Jack by just kind of indicating, you know, you you pretty much almost put your career off the line. She's a joke now because of you. Uh, she's not going to do this tour because of you. And really heaped on kind of an extra serving of this experience of burdensomeness. Um, I think that Jack was probably already feeling and helped facilitate not only the feeling that he was a burden on her, but probably exacerbated kind of the self-loathing that goes along with it as well. I agree with you. It's almost like if you had to write a script for the thing that Jack would feel worse about and most vulnerable about, and Raffi just kind of was rubbing salt on the Oh, yeah. Yeah, just horrible. Um, The other side, like I mentioned, is thwarted belongingness, and this is kind of an experience that that you're alone or or individuals who maybe have unmet kind of social needs or, or a lack of social connectedness. And I think that there's, um, this is a theme throughout for Jack. So he grew up um, largely without parents. He had his father until he was 13, but it sounds like that wasn't um, a relationship that was generally positive or adaptive or healthy. Um, his brother, his relationship with his brother is fairly strained and becomes more so throughout the film after Jack um, physically attacks him and his brother stops working for him. And then even his relationship with Allie, which is a really generally healthy and adaptive uh, relationship, a source of support for Jack, um, becomes strained as Allie becomes really busy. Um, she's really involved with her own career and they start to experience some conflict that um, creates obstacles and barriers kind of in their own relationship and connection. Yeah, and even while she's visiting him when he is in treatment, she says that he, um, she she says, do you want to come home after you leave here? And he seems to have fear 
in his facial expression, like, yeah, why wouldn't I come home, you know? And, and I wonder if that even has him feeling like she might leave. Right. Absolutely. Yep. So, and then, um, the kind of third component is, is the capability to die by suicide. Um, and this is kind of depicted, I think probably most clearly through, um, Jack's previous suicide attempt, um, that's kind of indicates that he, he has attempted before, so he likely has the kind of capacity to overcome kind of the inherent will to live that we have and, and kind of challenge the fear about death that we have um, to actually have the capacity to, to, to die by suicide. So kind of those three things together, kind of that perception of being a burden, um, that perception that, that he's maybe alone, um, in addition to that capacity um, and fearlessness about death are kind of, according to this model, what facilitates um, Jack's suicide attempt and, and ultimately um, his death by suicide. That's right. And that model was originally developed by Thomas Joyner, which Brandon might have said, but we had a few technical problems. So yes. I thought I'd just repeat that. Thank you for that explanation. Um, kind of building on some of that, I thought that I'd briefly talk about Another model, this is by Klonsky and May, and this paper that I'm referencing was published in 2015, which we'll link to. It's called the Three-Step Theory, and it's a new theory of suicide rooted in the ideation-to-action framework. And the basic sense of this is that there are a much larger percentage of people that have ideation or simply thoughts about suicide than people who act on it. So if you kind of imagine the, the portion of the population that thinks about suicide and then try to imagine a smaller part of it that will attempt suicide or die by suicide. And the idea with this model is to pinpoint who's at most risk for acting on it and what is it that kind of takes someone who is having ideation and pivots them into action. And so I'm giving a very kind of basic and brief explanation, which is why I'll link to the paper. But the basic points I do think are really relevant for A Star is Born. And so the way that the three-step theory is, is the first question is, is a person in pain and hopeless? He's Jack is clearly in pain, mm -hmm. and he does seem... He maybe has some hope, but I think there's a lot of hopelessness about, you know, what's he going to do with his career? Is Allie going to leave or is he going to ruin what's good for her? And so I would say yes to that. He has suicidal ideation, feeling in pain, and maybe acutely hopeless after Raffi comes in and, and says all of that stuff to him about kind of how he's going to be pushing Allie to, to leave him and, and get rid of and get divorced or leave him and not be seen with him so then the second step is is your pain greater than your connectedness and i would say again you kind of see this point where he's connected to Allie for sure although they're kind of re-establishing their connection after what they've been through i mean there's it's not like everything's magically better they've been through a lot of stuff and they're working on establishing that but then his pain certainly I mean, visibly goes up after Rafi talks to him about what he did at the Grammys and how that's impacted her. And so 
if the answer to that question is yes, then there's stronger or more intense ideation or thoughts about suicide. And the third step is, are you capable of attempting suicide? And, you know, he does die by suicide. So it's, of course, I'm biased to say yes on that. And there's a suicide attempt, but also he has attempted suicide in the past. So that's also evidence before this incident that he's capable of attempting suicide. So I feel like this represents that he's, I would speculate that he's thinking about suicide mm -hmm. and that that changes over to action mode after this excruciating conversation with Rafi. And that might really bump up the, the pain level, which is, you know, why a lot of people who have attempted suicide survive it say, you know, I, I, I want to live, but I didn't want to live in pain anymore. And it's really sad to see that because, of course, a lot of his perceptions are, you know, Allie's not planning to leave him. And she she does view him compassionately. And unfortunately, he can't see that. And he doesn't see how his life could be different from that point. And that, I think, is just a devastating aspect of suicidal thoughts and suicidal desire that he's thinking a lot of things and not seeing a way out of it where there are pathways to where they could have a good life together, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think through kind of both of those frameworks, um, just taking a look at, at the, the process that can facilitate a suicide attempt, Jack is someone who's really um, at risk in a lot of different ways and really um, exhibiting a lot of the a lot of the risk factors that indicate that someone would be um, you know someone who's vulnerable to dying by suicide, and has really coped by escaping to an extent through using substances, absolutely, or through you know performing for an audience. And I assume, although you don't see many details about his treatment, that he was learning some coping skills, but that's still really hard. I mean, he's had this long period of time of coping this certain way, and now he's having to actually feel his pain and feel the remorse and regret about the actions that he's taken. And so that's, uh, that is difficult, and especially when he's had these kind of ruptures and these close relationships. So I think... You know, it's, it's just extremely tragic, and so maybe we can conclude by talking about some, some hope here. I think that what, you know, e even though this story was very tragic, I think that one of the things that, you know, there were some warning signs, and I do think people checked in with him, but he kind of keeps things to himself, yeah. and that's that's a really hard thing about it. I think that you know, if he could have been safe that night, that there are some pathways. He, like, again, as I said, that they could have worked through some things. And so, you know, if someone is in that state or if you're in that state, you know, I, I hope that you can get the help that you need that can help you to kind of see things. Because, again, Allie didn't seem like she intended on leaving him, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, I You know, even when they had... Um, a number of kind of pretty severe conflicts and and he really did embarrass her while she was accepting her grammy and um you know he was very hurtful to her in that one scene where he said she was ugly um she really seemed genuinely dedicated to him and and was willing to put her 
career kind of, you know, added a lower priority to him, even though there were other people pressuring her to really make that the forefront. So I think that there was some hope for him, and there was certainly, she was very invested in him, and I think even his older brother Bobby, um, even though, you know, he walked away and he told Jack, uh, it's easier without you, um, he did say, hey, if you ever get in trouble, you just have to call me. And when Jack told him that, you know, he looked up to him, you saw that really was impactful for, for Bobby as he was driving away. It looked like he was in tears. So I think there were definitely some people who were there for him. Um, and, and, you know, you could have seen things maybe go a little bit differently um, for Jack. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I think I was glad that after he died by suicide, they didn't just end the movie there. They show her response and she's I mean she smashes the the posters hanging on the wall she's kind of beside herself but also seems kind of angry as well and then she's talking to Bobby about it and she's blaming herself she's saying the last thing I did was lie to mm-hmm. him and you know that and you know I also think, I, I mean, I think that's part of why he also felt guilty, too, is because now she's telling him, I canceled my European tour to stay with you and kind of lied about what that mm-hmm. was. So that probably didn't help. But what Bobby says is important is it's not it's not your fault, though, and it's not my fault. I mean, I, you know, him saying it's Jack's fault, I think, made me feel bad. Right. But I kind of understand where they're coming from and as they try to sort this out. And I certainly agree with the fact that it wasn't other people's fault. I mean, the fault, I think, is with the severe mental health struggles that he's dealing with, you know. Yeah, I thought that was really done actually pretty tactfully where it wasn't done in a way that um, kind of demonized um, Jack, but in a way that was uh, almost like, letting him own the decision and making sure that Allie and Bobby um, weren't taking on that responsibility almost. It's a fine kind of line, but I thought that the film depicted it actually pretty well. Yes, especially for both of them who did try to Mm -hmm. help and save him a Mm -hmm. lot, you know? And so just the idea that, which is understandable that then they would think, you know, maybe if I kept doing that or if I had done more, and I think that's a very real, realistic response to the grief. So showing that and then also showing that Allie is kind of going to push on even though it is painful. And she that's the other thing that I thought was maybe a sign that he was going to die by suicide is that she found that song he wrote and he was kind of like, I'd hope you find it. And it is a goodbye song, so you do wonder if there was this earlier contemplation of, of dying by suicide at that Absolutely. point. Absolutely, no. Absolutely. In conclusion, excellent movie, emotional yeah. movie. Yeah, we will we will link to a lot of the things we talked about and also some resources. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council podcast please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. 
If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.